Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. Welcome to a very special episode. Um, today I have with me a guest of many names, an actor, uh, and one of three, three black halflings, if you would like to introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Jeremy Cobb, uh, but many people call me many other things as well. Uh, and I am, as Navar said, one third of three black halflings, currently one half, but we're yeah. because we just lost a halfling, but we're in the process of uh, figuring stuff out. So hopefully one third again, yeah. not too far in the future. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, a, I'm kind of the resident DM of the show. I'm a co-host of the show, uh, co-founder. Um, I help run the social media, uh, in various ways. Do a, we, we do all, we all wear a lot of hats over yeah. the black athletes. Uh, yeah, that's how it, that's how it always starts. But, um, yeah, where I like to start is just like, how did you get into nerd stuff in general? Um, obviously, you know, people are familiar with you, like Halflings, you are a, a London based show, um, but you're clearly American. So, you know, let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about, you know, all of that for you. Yeah, well, I am a dual citizen, actually. my yeah. I was born in the United States. My mother is a British citizen. She came over to the UK at the tail end of uh, what is known as the Windrush generation. I don't think most Americans would be familiar with the term, but essentially, after World War II, uh, Britain, well, during World War II, Britain got completely wrecked. Uh, the, yeah. the Nazis were just bombing them for years and years. Yeah. Uh, and afterwards, they were like, dear Lord, our country is destroyed we desperately need to rebuild so they went to their holdings in the caribbean and said hey folks uh mm. if you come over here and rebuild our country for us we'll let you stay and so a bunch of jamaicans and i, uh, I think people from other parts of the caribbean as well but yeah. especially jamaicans came over uh on the hms windrush that was mm. the first one 
um yeah. and that was the first ship and uh my mom came over right at the tail end of that became a british citizen before i was born then my parents had me uh and i got into nerd stuff uh i would say see now here's the interesting thing i i draw kind of a distinction between like being nerdy as in like into nerdy things or processing things in like a nerdy way. Mm. Like it's, I think a person who is a fan of the MCU is arguably a fan of something that is nerdy, but there's a difference between being a fan of the MCU and being able to name every year that every single one of the movies was released and learning who the stars were, who the writers were, who the directors were. That's not, I don't, I don't do that for the MCU, but I was very much a nerd from the get go in terms of like, uh, what I would become interested, how I would express interest in something. It wasn't just a matter of like, oh, let me experience this thing. It was a matter of let me learn every single yeah. piece of information. <laughs> let about me this devour thing. this. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I think my very first big interest was horses. Then it became dogs. And then somewhere (laughs) along the line, I think when I was six years old, my dad showed me a VHS of the old 1960s Spider-Man. So I got really into Spider-Man, especially in my preteen and teen years. Yeah. uh, And got then into Marvel comics in general uh, and then just into superhero comics in general. Of course, big into the superhero movies, because uh, as somebody who was born in the early 90s, I was coming of age sort of just as we started to hit like X-Men, X-Men 2, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, uh, The Batman Begins, Dark Knight, all that stuff. And then, of course, like the the advent of the MCU, MCU back in 2008. Uh, but yeah, that was, that's pretty much how it started. And then it just, I would gain interests, Harry Potter, dinosaurs, like just along the way that I would just sort of fold in, uh, to my nerd knowledge. Did, when did you start getting, um, like interested in like fantasy and fantasy fiction and stuff like that? Or was that uh, I would say probably it would have started with like Disney movies because I know okay. I, I would count Disney movies in general as being fantasy oriented. Yeah. My favorite movie for a long time was Lion King. And yeah. then I remember when I was I think I was seven or eight. I read I think it was like seven. I read The Hobbit. And then when I was like seven or eight <laughs> i started reading lord seven. of the rings it was a good book yeah I, yeah I mean my dad was like here read this and i was like i don't want to read it and he's like do it and i read it and i was like yeah it was good yeah uh and then my uh my dad and i read lord of the rings together starting when i was like seven or eight okay. we would like alternate pages so he would read a page to me and i'd read a page to him and stuff like yeah. that and so i that was kind of the birth of my uh, I guess introduction to like the proper fantasy genre. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies came out and I became, I think I would say my interest gradually increased. Of course, Harry Potter, huge yeah. watershed moment for me. I think I started reading those when I was seven as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so seven years old was a big year for fantasy <laughs> yeah. in my life. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, did you continue like reading other fantasy fiction uh, as well? Or was it kind of just like, I mean, because Lord of the Rings, I think is is such a staple, but um, it's also sometimes can be kind of set apart because of how iconic it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And especially I, at that time, I think the movies were starting to come out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. It's kind of it's yeah Lord of the Rings I think it's like the granddaddy of a, of a lot yeah. of it or yeah. almost all of it uh, sure. at least in terms of contemporary fantasy 
But yeah, I I didn't really go super deep into just the fantasy genre because I also enjoyed sci-fi. And yeah. I think I think a lot of fantasy reading that I would have done kind of got supplanted by my interest in Star Wars, which gotcha. also started when I was around six or seven. Yeah. And then I started reading like novelizations of Star Wars books. And then I was reading like the young Anakin Skywalker series and young Obi-Wan series where they were both being like trained as Jedi. <laughs> uh, and I, I would read the young Boba Fett series yeah. uh, and different things like that. Uh, so I didn't get into like, I did read, I will say I read uh, several of Madeline Langle's books and there was another, uh, which was um, A Wrinkle in Time okay, and a few yeah. other ones. Um, there was also, ah, oh, I cannot remember. They were all set in New England. It was this series that like took a lot of influence from transcendental, uh, the transcendental, like American transcendentalists. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what's his name? Uh, Henry David Thoreau and Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson and people like that had a yeah. huge influence. And it was it was like this family of kids who would just go on these weird adventures. One that I remember was a was a like a mini adventure where they found this. Um, I think it was like some kind of a slot. No, it wasn't a slot machine. It was like a um, one of those claw machine games where, and okay. they could just get it to give them unlimited money. <laughs> and it just kept giving and they took like huge amounts of money yeah. and they were having to babysit their little baby cousin and they had this pile of money that was as big as them and then they looked at the machine and the machine had claimed their cousin uh <laughs> as if to say like because they were annoyed at their little baby cousin but the machine yeah. was i guess teaching them that the value of a human life is essentially priceless <laughs> compared like it's similar to the amount of money so they had to put all the money back in the machine yeah. and, got, and got the baby back <laughs> <laughs> but I remember I used to read those. Yeah, there's a bunch of like, I don't think many of them are really big mainstream because a yeah. lot of it was also Christian literature. Yeah. Uh, so I read like Piercing the Darkness. Well, This Present Darkness was first and then Piercing the Darkness and then some Frank Peretti books. Uh, I read the Wally McDougal series. Uh, if anybody had grew up with those, they probably went, oh, most people have <laughs> no idea what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> no that's fair um well that's very cool so yeah like what what uh what transitioned you into playing ttrpgs then um i had heard of dungeons and dragons i think that was the main one that i had uh, that i had heard of uh but i'd never i never really had access to like hardcore nerds in my youth for sure um i I had a couple of friends in high school, but not, I don't think either of us like went to like comic book stores very often or like nerd stores in general that where we could have gotten a hold of some of the books. Mm-hmm. And, and also I think my parents probably wouldn't have felt comfortable with it either. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't until I went to college. Uh, I started going to college in New York at first, uh, Stony Brook university. And mm-hmm. one of my friends introduced me to, uh, a game that he made called Paradox Perfect, which okay. we've actually played now on Three Black Halflings. Yeah. Uh, and we're actually going to play again. Spoiler nice. alert. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we're planning another recording in a couple weeks. Hopefully awesome. we get to release one uh, in January. But um, it's a time travel RPG or yeah. time travel TTRPG. Complete madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely bonkers. And actually, I should mention, I did used to play some rpg video games so that was also a little bit of it like pokemon i forgot was a massive obsession for me for a long (laughs) long time uh and and i like sonic games and stuff which aren't really rpgs but still fantasy sci-fi and i never really played another ttrpg after that 
until uh around 28 it was it was october of 2018 that's when oh, it was wow. i had just yep. graduated from drama school and one of my friends from drama school shout out to ryan uh he was like hey man i was on tour with a play and he was like hey man you're gonna be back for a couple of days right and i was like yeah and he's like okay but do you want to play D D?" and i was like yeah, sure, dude. I've never played it before. That sounds cool. Because yeah. I was in, I was a gigantic community fan. Yeah. So, uh, of course, um, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, one right, of the best yeah. episodes of that show. And then they did another <laughs> one as well. So I was all over it. Uh, but he was like, okay, man. Uh, it was like midnight. It was like midnight or 1 a.m. I'm sitting on tour with him as he goes on D&D Beyond. And he's like, okay, what race do you want to play? I was like, I don't know anything about the races, dude. He's like, well, there's like, there's human, there's dwarf, there's elf, uh, there's gnome. I was like, all right, let's go with gnome. And then so he just built my character with me. Yeah. Uh, and then I got, when I was in town again in London, I, uh, I got, I, we played, uh, we played D&D for the first time and it wasn't even D&D actually it was Pathfinder I no, think it was a Pathfinder <laughs> introductory adventure the yeah, guy yeah. who was running it for us was I kid you not an anti-racist skinhead uh, he was a skinhead who beats up racist skinheads. That was okay. the organization that he was a part of. And <laughs> it's just like, wow. what is going on with yeah, this? And and so that was the DM. Uh, we played like a two, two and a half hour session. I was like, whoa, this was great. And earlier that year, in fact, I had met some other people. Or I had run into some people from drama school yeah. uh, who had graduated before me who played D&D. And I was like, hey, can I join your game? And they were like, maybe. But in the meantime, <laughs> watch Critical Role. And I tried watching the first episode of Critical Role and was utterly bewildered. Yeah, it was like, yeah. I don't, because they have, you know, they have the, like it the does. nine minute character intros in like the first episode. Yeah. And it doesn't and make on, any sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on the YouTube version, all of the graphics are blacked out. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like a weird blurry screen for about 10 minutes long. Yeah. And I was like, what on earth? <laughs> uh, so luckily after i played DD for the first time right around that time i also discovered the show dimension 20 awesome. uh because i've i've been a college humor fan since about 2008 2009 okay. so uh when they had premiered when when the guy who had done the tide pod commercial uh the tide pod <laughs> ceo commercial that they did was now the dm for a DD show i was like hey let's give this a shot yeah. and i watched the first two episodes and was like <gasps> And so got real hooked on that. And then from there, it was like a domino of continuing to play, then starting to DM, and then it eventually snowballed into where we are now. Yeah. Yeah, I've talked about it on my show before, but the, that when I first tried watching Critical Role, I stopped for a long time because I was just like, I don't understand. Like, they they don't explain anything about what happened in the story. Like, like you said, mm -hmm. the graphics are like just covered up. Um, they yep. clearly do not realize that they're going to be famous one day. So they're just like eating <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah, they're just, it's a completely different uh, um, uh, vibe than what they have done now. Um, but yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think it's it's really cool just, you know, having, it's, it's, I mean, around that time, there's that explosion of just like D and D coming out of everywhere. Um, yeah, and obviously, you know, Fantasy High being such a big uh, part of that. I didn't get into mm -hmm. Dimension Twenty till recently, but um, I mean, it's it's so good. Brendan is in. Yeah, he's incredible. he's unreal. Yeah. Uh, did you find actually? I'm curious because watching Dimension Twenty versus watching Critical Role, I know people will say what happens on Critical Role is not very similar to an actual D and D game, but mm -hmm. I find the pacing of Critical Role is much more similar to what you would get yeah. in an average D and D game. For sure. 
I mean, yeah. they will spend three hours shopping. Yeah, on, exactly. On <laughs> yeah. 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 And, totally and it's agree. like, yeah. And it's not like, it doesn't feel driven. Like yeah. they're, it's, they're, they're playing. There's definitely a thrust, mm-hmm. but they're, they're, if you watch in contrast to dimension 20, I think because all of those people are trained comedians and improvisers yeah. and it's pre- presented much more as a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's much more of a sense of like forward momentum, constant. Every episode has a new twist that they're throwing in. There's always things happening and it's a condensed story. So I think it was much easier for me as somebody who didn't play D and D and didn't know the rules really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and had only ever played Pathfinder to actually get into uh, because it's like, ah, I am really, that's how I learned to play D and D was from yeah. like when Gorga, when Gorgug rages for the first time, I'd never heard of that ability, but I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay. That's clearly an ability that he has as a barbarian <laughs> yeah. and they keep going, you know, action yeah. surge. Oh, must be a fighter thing. Uh, oh, I cast spells. Okay. Bards cast spells. Cool. And it keeps going. That was, that was how I learned how to do it. Yeah. Uh, I've honestly, I've never, I've spent very little time reading the actual D and D books yeah. except for what I want to use from them. So I'll be like, Oh, I want this. I wonder, I want to use something about the history of elves. Uh, let's go look at this book. Uh, and then I go read that and it's like, I read like a section from that and be like, yeah. cool. Bye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. As of the recording of this, um, my first one shot for the show has come out and we play Pathfinder second edition. And, oh, nice. Um, yeah, thank you. And um, so we did a uh, a session zero for for the second one that I'm going to do, and the players all picked different uh, classes. And I was like, I cool. Like I have no idea what these classes do, so I will now have to learn because it's true. Like I I agree that you can sit there and digest all of that information, but I think there is a lot of benefit to just like what do I need to play the game today and then play and then learn with your friends as you play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's so much benefit to that. And then you know having a good mind for improvising and not necessarily improv comedy, but just improvising a situation in general, I think. Yeah. So you can go, okay, well we can take the time, to look this up, or we can just mo- make a decision and move on. Yeah. And then, you know, that helps a lot with the, with the flow of the game. So. A hundred percent. I completely agree. I'm actually, uh, I'm curious uh, because I, this is something that I kind of thought of recently. I kind of came to this conclusion. Um, uh, I've noticed that like I, I didn't really play many sports growing up, but yeah. I've noticed that people who really got into sports mm-hmm. and understood the rules of the sports, even mm-hmm. children had very rarely ever sat down and read a rule book. Uh, yeah. that described what act, what, how to play the sport. For Usually sure. what would happen was they played the sport, but even before that, they watched somebody play the sport. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of these kids say they play soccer. They grew up playing, they grew up watching soccer or they grew up watching baseball, especially, or especially basketball yeah. and watching. Yeah. Like in the nineties, of course, late nineties, Michael Jordan on the, on the TV, right. uh, you can, it's like when you watch it, you start to pick things up. Yeah. Uh, like for example, American football for the, the rules for which are very confusing. If you have not actually like, <laughs> watched them play uh i didn't really understand that game until i started watching it regularly and then i was like oh yeah that's the rules and i feel like the same is true of board games and ttrpgs Mm -hmm. as well so i think i think a lot of people learn how to play from watching ttrpgs and then it they end up using the books as supplements for specific things that aren't addressed in those shows yeah, I think to, to that extent, um, because I, I, I played rugby for a while, um, so this will appeal to the the England crowd. But um, you, something that I learned was like, 
people that grow up in countries where rugby is a real thing, they play it as kids. And then there's nuance mm-hmm. to that as well. Um, so it's there's a reason why New Zealand kicks every other country's ass almost every year because mm. they start when they're five years old. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they're there are even nuances to narrative play in the sense of like knowing when you should speak up, knowing when you should give somebody space as DMs, like knowing when you should change the spotlight. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Like in your, in your guys' show, um, you do a fantastic job. First of all, let me just say you are a fantastic uh, DM. Um, and I think everybody who has ever listened to you would agree with me. So um, thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate absolutely. that. Yeah. And, and it's cool having you, do this and having Connie on the show and Connie is a DM that I absolutely love. And mm-hmm. like the way that they understand moments and spotlight and being like, and sometimes being like, I've done a huge thing, go ahead and go somewhere else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With the scene. Um, and so it's, it's cool to like understand that. But I think like you said, watching people do it and then practicing those things really helps with that development yeah. of those nuances. Yeah, Absolutely. And yeah, then you fill everything in, I guess, by playing it. You fill in the rest yeah, of it just by exactly. playing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and just filling it out. And because there is like the dice are there just to kind of keep things sort of in line. Obviously, games get very chaotic. <laughs> but, um, but you know, and so you just kind of use it as you're out of bounds. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do to keep things on the track, um, mm. quote unquote, on the track. Because <laughs> things, go, <laughs> things go off the rails. Um, if you have list of outlaws and abolists, you can go find out what I mean by that. <laughs> yes things go wildly off the rails uh in the best possible way yeah uh but yeah i'm I'm really curious what was it like for you uh, well i guess here's the first question have you done much gming like in private prior to playing on the show yeah so for i guess i think it's about two years now it covid like who knows how long you know i feel like yeah. 2020 didn't exist but yeah i think it's been about two years now that i did private um DMing, I played D&D 5e first and then started Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Um, and so this past week is the first time that I've ever GM'd for the public to listen to. Oh. Yeah. yeah. What would you say was the difference for you? Like, how was that? Um, for me, the difference was, one, knowing it was um, something that people would need to listen to, like a performance. So we're, even though I use Roll20, like, I had to remember that I had to describe things for um, the audience. Right. And I don't think mm-hmm. I did a perfect job of that. They're definitely like listening back. I'm like, Oh, I probably should have given more description here. But, um, so that was a thing. And then, you know, knowing about like the timing and pacing and like making sure it was going to be enjoyable for people to listen to and not, um, and not just like these spaces of like, okay, let me look up the rules. Cause yes, I can edit it, but even minimizing that, um, you know, was important as well and making sure the players were staying engaged and, and moving spotlight around. So I think for me, it was mostly just like being aware that there is a, an audience um, that is going to listen to this and, and absorb it um, as opposed mm-hmm. to my home game where it's like, all right guys, like, let's just BS for 30 minutes and then, you know, Oh, what does this rule do? Let's just look it up and find out. And then we spend yeah. 15 minutes doing that. Um, and not really caring about the outcome was we're all enjoying being together. So mm. yeah. Well, and for yourself, I mean, you know, especially being an actor and, and that kind of stuff, like, do you feel like there was a big transition for you in the two? Yeah, it was 
especially when we were doing it live streamed, like live streamed at the mm -hmm. very beginning when we started the Cub and the Caterpillar, it was yeah. just live streamed games. Yeah. That I found extremely stressful. I didn't enjoy that. I do, I like playing the game, <laughs> yeah. but I don't like like everything leading up to it was mm -hmm. just nightmarish because yeah. I have difficulty on like pick d deciding what is appropriate for uh other people's sensibilities in the first yes. place mm -hmm. so for me to be like oh i'm supposed to just make things like if i need to if i need to improvise something mm -hmm. then i'm like <laughs> what can i improvise? i don't know and it, it becomes way more nerve-wracking yeah and then also the fact that up until that point I had only ever homebrewed settings. That yeah. was the first time uh, with the Cub and the Caterpillar that I had ever played in a setting that I did not create. Right. So I was also, and not only that, but it was drawing from a frame of reference that I was not familiar with. Yeah. yeah so sure. the first, like, whenever we stopped live streaming, which was around like episode 10, <laughs> I think, like nine or 10. Uh, maybe 11 when we stopped live streaming yeah it got so much more relaxed and yeah. not actually it wasn't even just for me everybody got more because <laughs> we were also trying to figure out how to live stream effectively yeah. <laughs> uh, so i would say the live streaming because it was so immediate all of that got ramped up yeah. Like the fear of like, oh no, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I, what if I make a, a, even a lore mistake? What if mm -hmm. I, there's a rule dispute? Because at least with pre-recording, we could edit it out. Yeah. Uh, and so when we switched to pre-recording, uh, I think everyone breathed a sigh of relief. Uh, but there definitely is a difference. At this point, I don't find it nearly as nerve wracking, but I, there is definitely like a sense of like, okay, I need to make sure everybody gets some. Like everybody, yeah. every character gets a little bit of spotlight, a little bit of story. We go into everybody's backstory. Everybody gets a chance to shine. We try and keep things moving, uh, you know, regular, uh, if they're not battle, like combat encounters, maybe revelations of some kind or plot twists. And, and it's like also a limited story. So it's like, okay, how can we try and use all the material that we have and keep rather than just keep continuing to introduce more and more things? Because, yeah. uh, you know, we only have a limited amount of time. Let's say, okay, this character, over here let's have them actually be the one who did this and this person let's have them be this person and this person yeah. let's all them do it and it's that it's that kind of thing yeah. uh so it feels a little bit more like writing it, it feels like writing a show in mm -hmm. some ways rather than uh just dming for and being like well we may get to this story beat in like <laughs> either this week or in six weeks who knows yeah yeah do you feel like you um kind of intuited a lot of that stuff from dimension 20 because they do a fantastic job of like we have four episodes and we will make sure that this lasts four episodes. Yes. Uh, that is very much what I've tried to do. They yeah. actually, we had a couple of points at outlaws and obelisks where things had to, well, specifically one point where things had to be extended. Uh, yeah. It was originally supposed to be only 14 episodes, yeah. but we ended up having to add another two essentially right. for like, it's like a two part finale mm -hmm. uh, because we just, with the amount of story we had, it was just like, yeah, <laughs> this is, we either end this on a cliffhanger or we end it 
properly and everybody's yeah. like let's just end it properly and it's yeah. like okay <laughs> uh but yeah that absolutely i try to take influence from that in terms of how to introduce characters so yeah. give every character a moment individually before <laughs> we introduce them rather than having everybody you're all here now everybody yeah. talk tell us what your backstory is no instead we introduce them and give you their circumstances right. and then give uh, give backstory as relevant or necessary along the way yeah. uh and there's there are elements of people's backstories that we just never get into in this season right. uh and it's it i don't think this the show is any poorer for it i no, think no, no, no. the fact that the characters know that or the, excuse me the players know that uh what their backstory is that adds an element of richness uh, yeah. You'll have characters making references to things that are never fully explained. It's kind of like a Star Wars in the early in the original Star Wars when Obi Wan's talking about, or when Luke makes reference to the Clone Wars, yeah, and they never say what the Clone <laughs> Wars were. Uh, in this, where you have Husher being like, "Oh yeah, the Prismatic City," and yeah. people are like, "What?" <laughs> and we just never we never <laughs> explain what the Prismatic yeah. City, yeah. what the whole deal with that is. But yeah, yeah, uh, no, yeah, I, that's really absolute one hundred and ten percent is the answer. I a hundred percent took inspiration from dimension 20 in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of inspiration, when I first was going to start the show, the only thing that I really knew was that I wanted to create a talk show um, where I could give people like a platform to talk about who they are and show people out there in the world. Like there are people like you um, who play these games and I was not a part of social media prior to this. And I know I've told the story a million times, but um, so you know what, what I'm going to ask you. I, I, I wasn't part of social media um, prior to this. But yeah, so when I when I first started the idea, I, w- I was looking up just on like Apple Podcasts, like searching black TTRPG or POC TTRPG and literally could find nothing other than three black halflings and mm. uh, Makers Misfits. Um, mm. And... So I was like, okay, well, what is this three black halfling show? And you know, and I think you you guys were already like twenties or so episodes in. I, I didn't start mm. until uh, I want to say like May. May. Oh of this yeah, year. we've been yeah. we've been going for almost a year at that point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, it, it was about May of this year, and so um, I was like, cool. So I started listening, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I was like, well, I don't want to like rip off this show. So let me just keep listening to make sure like, it's not the exact same thing that I was doing. Um, and you, and we do have very, uh, similar shows in, in, a, in certain aspects, but, um, but also a little bit different. And so, you know, for the folks of, uh, fans of secret nerd who haven't listened to three black halflings, like, you know, what, um, how would you describe the show? Cause it's evolved, you know, I think, uh, yeah, it really has <laughs> for the past year and a half. Uh, when it started, it was essentially just a talk show yeah. that in which we would discuss diversity primarily in Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, uh, and we had we did interviews with people uh, in the TTRPG space. Uh, we still do interviews with people, but essentially since then it has expanded to be more of a variety show. At yeah. this point, uh, we do a fair amount of actual play. We have an ongoing show that's actually just about to end, depending on when this comes out. It may have just ended uh, called Outlaws and Obelisks. Uh, we have another series that we did uh, called The Cub and the Caterpillar uh, that is based in a setting that I that we didn't create. Actually, it's one of our very first interviews that we ever held uh, with a the creator of the Wagadu Chronicles. His name is uh, Alan Cudicio. And essentially, it is a an Africa-inspired setting. Uh, the, 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 the 
ethos, or I guess the, the, no, the question that they asked was, what if J.R.R. Tolkien was African instead of European? Mm -hmm. And so he was drawing from all of the African myths and cultures instead of European myths and cultures. Uh, What kind of world would he have created? And it was, it's, I think it was conceived of as a video game and is still being developed as an, uh, as an MMORPG. I think it's a, a role play based MMORPG. And they added a a TTRPG D and D five E like uh, setting as part yeah. of that, uh, I guess to help advertise it. So we are actually the Cub and the Caterpillar, and in general, our Wagadu material is the official uh, Wagadu actual play show because we have we're in partnership with Twin Drums, the people who develop it. Yeah. So there's that. We do, as I said, interviews with generally generally D luminaries and people who who <laughs> uh do all sorts of cool stuff in the space yeah. um we also do short form actual play we just recently introduced a series called my friend eric where uh we'll bring somebody in uh it's named after my friend eric uh, <laughs> <laughs> where we'll we'll bring somebody in and in third we spend 30 minutes uh creating a world and characters and then 45 minutes playing an improvised one shot nice. in that setting um oh, what else do we do we do segments like whiz of the rings where we recast uh movies with more uh racially ethnically gender diverse casts we uh do on our patreon we do what are called kickbacks which is just us hanging out either with mm-hmm. each other or with various guests including yeah. connie chong uh yeah. in fact we've had connie chong on our main show and in outlaws and obelisks and i did a kickback with them although that hasn't <laughs> yeah. been released yet uh so we're big fans of connie and yeah, translator in general yeah for sure. uh but yeah it's a whole range of stuff um we and at this point we don't even just talk about uh dungeons and dragons anymore we've expanded to other ttrpgs we talk about nerddom in general we talk about our top five favorites in various genres usually movies yeah. uh we, i think the most recent one was we did our top five favorite horror movies uh unati and i did yeah. so yeah it's all it's a whole range of stuff but the simplest answer is variety show variety show yeah um you know it's funny uh in preparation for this i listened back to a little bit of the first episode and it's always funny to like hear where people started and just be like okay yeah you just like you don't realize how it's gonna go so like what like what did you think was going to be the outcome when you guys first started and then second part of that question is like when do you feel like you guys really broke through and started becoming like a big deal in the ttrpg world um, well, the, with the, at the very beginning, I just went in with like, yeah, I guess we'll see how this goes. Yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> I, I didn't really have expectations in terms of, uh, the show being particularly good or interesting or anybody really wanting to listen to it. Yeah. Uh, I said, maybe it'll be good. Maybe people will want to listen to it. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, and then when we actually were recording it, I was thinking to myself, this seems like it would probably be pretty good. And yeah. then I, I think I listened to some of the episodes after they came out and I was like, this is this is legitimately a pretty good show. I actually like this. It was good, uh, and I think when the, it's the point, it was like a gradual series of points mm-hmm. where we sort of started to. Uh, they were like mini booms. Yeah. Uh, the first big one was within the first few episodes. Somehow, Rick Perry, the the set designer for Dimension Twenty, mm-hmm. heard our show. 
wow. and became and and followed us on Twitter. Yeah. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> I'm a huge D20 fan. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, we gotta, we gotta ask him if if we can get some of the people from the show on our show. <laughs> and so the first person we got was Lou Wilson. Yeah. Uh I think he was other than a Jeff Kanata, I think Jeff Kanata was another big one because Jeff Kanata started following us fairly early on from yeah. um uh, the dungeon run, the G- the dungeon master of the dungeon run, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a that's a good show. And Jasper's a huge fan of that show and yeah. of Jeff Kanata in general. Yeah. So those like when we got Lou Wilson, and then from him we got Brennan Lee Mulligan, and then through that 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 was like the point at which a lot of people I think started to hear about us because yeah. I think Christina Ariel also had started following us pretty early on. Yeah. And so we basically we we were extremely fortunate in that we hit at the right time. Yeah. Uh, I think if we had debuted in a year other than 2020, it might not have caught on the way it did. Yeah. But a, a black an all black uh, podcast talking about uh, diversity hitting in summer of 2020 uh, was real fortuitous timing. <laughs> <laughs> so. There yeah. was a lot of, I think, I think the point though, at which we really started to things really, really started to break was when we joined HeadGum mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year. But prior yeah. to that, there, the growth had been very steady. And I think very quick, uh, even compared to a lot of other podcasts who debuted around the same time as us. Yeah. And, and a lot of those podcasts are very good podcasts that I'm a fan of, but it's, I think it's just that we had, we were in the right place at the right time. And yeah. happened to connect with the right people. And then that led to us joining HeadGum. And that really, like, it, it was basically, we had somebody finally to handle publicity who yeah. could then be like, hey, come listen to this show. And we're suddenly getting ads on NADPOD and stuff <laughs> like that. And that just, whew. Yeah. HeadGum is a um, podcast network. Is that correct? Yes. HeadGum is a podcast ne- network that was founded by Jake Hurwitz and Amir Blumenfeld, who originally were most famous for being Jake and Amir on College Humor. And then okay. after they left College Humor, they founded HeadGum and HeadGum uh, had NADPOD, which is mm-hmm. how I knew about it, yeah. uh, which is not another D&D podcast. Great, 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 great show. If you like to mention 20, definitely go check out NADPOD. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so from there, uh, when we joined HeadGum, and we started having guests from NADPOD on our show that absolutely exploded us in popularity. Yeah. Yeah. I could see um, those things. I mean, obviously you guys have a great show too. Like, you know, so that clearly helps. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's cool to see, to see the growth. It was, it was cool for me as a person who, who like many others was starving for diversity in TTRPGs to be able to find this show, you know, and, and go like, oh shit, like this is, you know, this is a really cool thing that a lot of people are listening to and getting involved in. And um, yeah, so it's been uh, fantastic just to watch the success of it all for you guys and, and, you know, see it happen. And then you've just, you know, from there have been going everywhere, you know, guest G- GMing and, mm. you know, <laughs> creating stuff. And yeah, you know. I got to DM for a D and D celebration this year. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which I never anticipated. If you had told me <laughs> a year ago that like a year, like a year from now, I'll be DMing uh, the sec. It was like the second to last uh, second or third to last segment of D and D celebration. I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me with this. Because <laughs> I remember when we when they first offered it to us, it was just kind of like, huh. Like I think I think both Jasper and Anati are like, yeah, we're not really free that day. Do you want to do it? 
was yeah. like, yeah, sure. And then kind of it hit me. I was like, oh, hey, wait, this is oh, like wait. the biggest D&D event of the year. And then we got into the <laughs> D&D annual and yeah. we got on Dragon Talk. That was another big one. Yeah, yeah, we were a, we, yeah. like, and we never expected that. I don't think any of us expected any of this to have happened. Uh, yeah. So thank you, first of all, for uh, your kind words about the show. Uh, <laughs> and actually, we the the show exists in part, in large part, because Jasper had an experience very similar to yours. Yeah. Jasper, I think, looked went on YouTube and typed in black D&D. <laughs> and the only thing that he saw that was actual black people actually playing D&D was Terry Crews uh, being right. in a one shot that Matt Mercer ran. Yeah. like a year or two ago <laughs> yeah. and that was it and he was like hmm there's a market <laughs> yeah and so we happened to slot in and, and since we joined a lot of other shows seems to have cropped up it seems like there have been a lot more black people who've become more visible in the space yeah. and I, I wouldn't even necessarily attribute that to our influence it just seemed to happen around the same time as we showed up because like uh, Abria, the summer of Abria, oh I God. think really yeah. started back when she guested on Dimension 20. I mm -hmm. think that was one of the points where it was because that was, I think, uh, she guessed on Dimension 20 and they did, uh, it was the, the Pirates, Pirates of Leviathan. Yeah. yeah. And that was, I don't know if she knew Matt Mercer and Marisha prior to that, but out of that, she ends up DMing. She becomes the first guest DM for Dimension 20. She becomes the first guest DM in Exandria officially for Critical Role. Then mm. from those two, I think she gets catapulted and gets to do the Adventure Zone. They go back yeah. to balance again. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, she's exploded. B. Dave Walters has been a presence for years, right. but his star continues to rise. I know Christina Ariel uh, got landed a uh, Star Wars hosting gig as yeah. well. Uh, and, and these are all people, especially in, in the case of Abria and Christina, we had, on our we had them on our show, I think... I think Christina we had last year and then Abria I think we had like either early this year or last year as well. Uh but like both these were people that we had on our show right before they exploded. Again, yeah. I don't think that has I don't think those two things are uh, correlated, <laughs> but uh You heard it here I, first folks. <laughs> yeah, we're the kingmakers over a three yeah. black half. <laughs> but I think it I think there's something to be said for uh I think the it, we're, what we're looking at is a rising push for diversity especially for black voices yeah. in the D&D &D space and yeah. TTRPG space in general and we happened to hit just as that was rising and so we've looked around and seen way more so I'm sure that if you type in black D&D &D now oh, you'll yeah. you'll probably get some three black halfling stuff but you'll probably get stuff like motherlands like into the motherlands yeah. RPG yeah. you might get Wagadu chronicles yeah. uh you might get any oh, number of like anything yeah. that Abri has been doing, anything Christina has been doing, D B. Dave Walters, uh, Tiny DePas, uh, Honey and Dice. There are so many people who all just yeah. critical bard. Another one. They're, they're like the list is now very long. Whereas before, I don't know if those people, if any of us, I know for a fact that we weren't, but I don't know yeah. if those, if some of those people would have been as immediately prominent. So it's been no, great to yeah. see. It's definitely, um, it's been a cool change and and to see it and. Uh, you know, because I'm because I'm constantly looking for other folks in the space. It's cool to find other shows too that are, you know, these shows that are just recently starting or um, have started over the past year. Because I mean, COVID 
created a ton of podcasts. Like it was, mm-hmm. yeah, really put people yeah. together uh, <laughs> for TTRPGs. Um, but yeah, so it, it's cool to see these shows and, and to see, um, you know, how those things develop. And I think, I think it's it it is fantastic. And I and I know, you know, I think I can speak for at least you know some of us that like you guys have definitely been a huge influence in that in the sense of like representation matters, right? And so having um, having the three of you create the show and have success with it and, you know, be proud of who you are and put it out there. Like, it, I think it makes such a huge impact um, for folks who maybe thought that they couldn't do that before. Mm. Yeah. I honestly, I wouldn't have thought that we could do it before. Yeah. When I first started yeah. guest DMing, I was like, but I, but I, but I'm not that good of a DM. I was like, <laughs> I've seen, I'm not Brennan Lee Mulligan. Why would I want to DM? If I, why would I pub, want to publicly DM if I've? Why would I want to do that? Yeah. Uh, but then, like over time, I've been kind of like, yeah, I guess it is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but sure. it's it's it, it was it's definitely been like a process because a lot of it was like, oh, I guess I guess people like us, like the show, yeah. like what we're doing, and it's been like it, it's put things in a different perspective, for, like for me, yeah. where. I think I now am able to look and say, oh, okay, perhaps we were undervaluing ourselves and like we're down on ourselves. And now that I'm meeting people who I was looking up to and it's like, oh, they're humans. They're all yeah. human beings. Um, yeah. This is a this is a slight tangent, but I, it definitely no, relates. Good. Have you uh, have you seen the recent documentary Get Back? I have not. The, uh, it it chronicles the the Beatles attempt to uh, rehearse, write a bunch of songs and rehearse them in preparation for a live broad a live TV broadcast. Okay. And it was just as the band was really falling apart. Yeah, um, they were like spirits were low. Uh, things were not. Mm-hmm. And they then they had a couple of weeks to write and record essentially an album. Yeah. And it it's really interesting because, you know, the Beatles are consistently held up as being, if not the best band of the rock era, certainly one of the best yeah. bands uh, in the history of like contemporary popular music uh, or at least modern popular music. Yeah. They and they're legitimately these are they're these are iconic songs where they're talking about writing these songs you can watch them write the songs and they're just like i need a line here and somebody's <laughs> like yeah maybe try this and like nah. and the other one's like try this and like yeah and they're sitting there literally just scatting until they can come up with words yeah. uh george harrison at one point brings in the song something which is one of the best beatles songs <laughs> of all time i think frank sinatra said it was the greatest love song he'd ever heard and he's like <laughs> I can't, I'm getting this something in the way she moves, attracts me like, and I can't figure out the rest of the line. And, I, and John Lennon's like, I don't know, just say stuff until, like, say stuff that fits the meter until you settle on something. <laughs> attracts me like a cauliflower. <laughs> and legitimately. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay, yeah, no, they're just people too. Like, yeah, just a bunch yeah. of dudes just trying to throw something together, trying their hardest to create something. And it yeah. really demystified it. And that, that, I think that's been kind of the process for me is mm-hmm. as is the more like getting into podcast production, um, getting like at this point we have, a, uh, I have to give a shout out to our, uh, our en- sound engineer uh, yeah. for outlaws and obelisks and pretty much all of our actual play stuff. Uh, Daniel Ramos. Mm-hmm. So good. The dude did the sound design for God of war. Uh, oh. Like he's a beast. Yeah. And he did, he did the sound design for like outlaws and obelisks mm-hmm. and for the la- last part of the cub and the caterpillar. Yeah. And so 
but like he, but essentially a lot of times it'll be like, I'll send him like, Hey, could you cut this section out of this? And here's a list of songs that yeah. we have, I guess, pick stuff from this list and also maybe an emotional tone for the, like we want this emotional tone for this scene. And he's yeah. like, cool. And then he makes something and then I'm like, that's amazing. And he's like, yeah. And, but yeah. it, like, it really is like, he's just like, yeah, okay. I'll just try and put something together. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I'll just try and create something, I guess. We'll just, I don't know. This sounds like it would be a cool plot twist. Let's throw this in. Uh, Hey, Johnny, can you write us a theme? And everybody like, Johnny will be like, sure. And we'll throw it. We'll throw him uh, resources for uh, like people be like, Hey, I want my theme to sound kind of like the, the, the harmonica theme from uh, once upon a time in the West. And he's like, cool. And then he creates something that for us is, is like, Oh my gosh. But for him was probably like, like, well, I need a melody here. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's try this. Okay, cool. Yeah, and we'll stick the harmonica in back here, and then we'll. And it's it's, yeah, it's not as amazing to create all this stuff as you think it would be. Like it, <laughs> you're just looking. Yeah. Is it? It's just you're just trying to make a thing. You're just trying a, to make something. Yeah, a lot of hard work goes into it, though. Um, it's it's know. hard, but it's <laughs> not it's not the like what you see in movies yeah. where like somebody, a mystical, yeah, miracle. yeah, where Ray <laughs> yeah. Charles is like man what i say and then he's like yeah. <gasps> and like looks off into space and then you just hear the doom do 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 like it, and he's like sitting down at the piano yeah. and it's all alchemy it's just like yeah. nah he probably just played a cool riff and then started improvising lyrics on it and then yeah. settled on those yeah for sure that's funny um yeah so you know you guys have obviously become very successful but you know also are still actors and um, you know, that's part of why uh, Unati had to leave. And um, mm -hmm. you know, is like TTRPGs as a career, is that something that interests, interests you or I guess like. Sort of, kind of. Not, not to say that you have to pigeonhole yourself either, but like. Yeah, I would say it, it's, it's becoming more viable as yeah. a career. I'm, I question. I've, I've, what I have observed is the vast majority of the people who d do TTRPGs as a career are based in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, there are very few who are based in the UK who do that. If, mm -hmm. In fact, I'm not sure if there are any at all. Uh, I know that like there are I, I wonder if the high rollers folks are able to they might be just full time. I don't know. Maybe Mark is. I, yeah. But it seems like even they have like other responsibilities mm -hmm. uh, that there are that, you know, and perhaps other jobs that they're doing. So for me, I look at it as like a really cool sort of second secondary part time slash full time job yeah. that we'll see where it goes in a year's time. Uh, if it, it's uh, it's actually I, I as a big fan of like YouTube, I, mm. I would say it's similar to what I've seen for a lot of YouTube creators yeah. where they like start out and they're just making stuff and then it catches on and then it gradually becomes viable as a career. And yeah. so they start to like maybe do their other stuff part time and then maybe they transition 100 percent. I don't know if I would ever want to fully transition 100 percent because I really do like acting and performing but yeah. it might be i might try focusing more on like voice acting or mm -hmm. something that would not make it impossible to try and also do podcasting yeah uh because yeah. it can get it can get tough to schedule that stuff for sure and i i think i mean at the, at the very least like when you're talking about just doing you know podcasting and actual play stuff like at least it's it's not 
a full eight hours a day type of a job, right? Unless you make it that, but like for the most part, mm-hmm. you really don't have to because once people start to support the show and, and that kind of stuff, then it's like, okay, well, it has now become, like you said, viable to do this and not have to commit a full eight hour day to every single thing that we're doing. So, yeah. um, and then of course, like you said, hiring sound engineers and other people to outsource some of that stuff, I think makes it a little bit easier as well. Yeah, we would not have been able to do Outlaws and Obelisks without the help of like our sound engineer and editors because it's just we were we we went in knowing we wanted to do something that was like a bigger production and yeah. we just Jasper has a full time job I have things that I'm doing like none of us have a none of us had to the time or really the the degree of skill necessary yeah. to create something like a professional sound engineer could. And so that would be like, yeah, it would not be the same. It would just be like largely unadorned if we just (laughs) did it ourselves uh, and probably would have taken much longer to put out as well. It's a lot of work to edit that many voices onto a single track is insane. It's so hard. And then Uh, you add music and sound effects and you're (laughs) like, you're picking tracks as well. A lot of the time. And uh, partway through, we got Johnny to send us all the stems. Uh, Jonathan, Johnny being Jonathan Charles, our resident bard who also plays on outlaws and obelisks. Uh, He, uh, we got him to send him all, send us all the stems that he, from all the tracks, which like each one has like well over a hundred which is insane uh, elements to it. And yeah. he then that freed the, the editing team up to add pieces of tracks in. So okay, it's like yeah, yeah. only the flute from this theme or <laughs> only this from this theme. Uh, yeah. And it's like, Oh my gosh, they do. It, 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 it just took it to another level. To be yeah. honest. Uh, there was an app. There was a point in the most recent episode that I went and listened back to uh, after it was edited and uh, they edited in one of the characters themes at like a pivotal moment and it's like fading in into the soft part and if mm-hmm. you and i'm like i gave me tears i'm like oh <laughs> this is so good <laughs> oh you guys just completely ah. Oh. so yeah it was it's yeah that's i awesome. completely lost track of what i was saying it's, but- <laughs> it's okay, yeah. um so i am curious that you know just on a personal note like what what kind of acting do you like to do the most well, I would say the the kinds of I would say filmed acting. Okay. I really really like mainly because with theater I love doing live performance, mm-hmm. but I get bored if okay. it's if it's the same show yeah. over and over and over and over, especially if I'm not super jazzed about the show to begin with. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I usually prefer there to be like an element of improv mm-hmm. or something unpredictable. Uh, to it whereas it feels like a lot of times plays can get pretty repetitive whereas with film stuff once you get it you never do it again (laughs) it's just gone you you don't have to do those lines again Uh, you never do that scene again and with I I also did one voice acting gig and I absolutely loved it because it was like fast paced I got to do like it was I was getting to use my body without Mm -hmm. having to like stand on stage or have people staring at me so it's like oh yeah, we want you to be walking in this scene. So I'm just like walking in place, having this conversation. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And it was, and it's, as I said, fast paced. Once you get the lines, you don't do them again. And you just, you just zip through and then you leave. And I was like, whoa, 
see, this would be way easier to fit into my schedule. I could just say they had me brought me in for three hours to record something. Boom. Then I leave and I go do three black halflings. So those are, I would say, voice acting and then uh, screen acting are probably my favorites. But I really enjoy doing like individual live shows or short runs of live shows. TV acting, I could see the appeal to that, like you were saying, and to doing the voice acting. Um, you, you, I would say now, and I, and you know, part of it might be also because of like listening to you talk on your show and on everything else. But I think that um, you have a distinctive voice, a voice that people would like listen to and go, "Oh yeah, that's Jeremy Cobb." So I think you know, voice acting for sure would be one of those things, um, and especially with um, I don't know what uh, Jasper's goals are in that realm, but. Um, him as well, because there's been times when I've like read the tweets and I'm like, I'm literally reading this in Jasper's voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> is he? Uh, I think to a degree, both of us write at like we talk. Yeah. Um. I I think I don't tweet as much from. I usually just retweet. I usually like things, comment on things, and retweet <laughs> yeah. from our account. But he usually does most of the actual tweeting. Yeah. Uh. If you ever want to hear me write something, you should go to our Discord because every once in a while I type stuff on our Discord. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think both of us have very distinctive. We <laughs> we write very similarly to how we talk. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's funny. So yeah. Speaking of writing, we kind of talked about it, but um, as the, the dump truck was going by, that will be edited out. Um, but um, you know, writing for TTRPGs. Um, you know, now that you're in this world, is that something that has ever like occurred to you or appealed to you in any kind of way? A little bit, yeah. There, I I like usually when I write something, I write it specifically for me to read. Yeah. I don't write it for other people to read. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote the episode titles for yeah, yeah. Outlaws and Obelisks, and I wrote the descriptions, <laughs> but. Uh, I don't usually spend tons of time trying to specifically write stuff for people to consume. Mm-hmm. However, we have talked about the possibility of trying to write like a an Utarum source book, yeah, sort yeah. of, for mm-hmm. if somebody wanted to set their game in the world of Outlaws and Obelisks. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, there definitely has been uh, an interest. And I really do like writing like stories, dramatic stuff, uh, play scripts that all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I also do a fair amount of that, not professionally, but just, uh, for me and my friends. And I used to write sketches, uh, back in the day when I did Sunday school, uh, like when I was a teenager, yeah. um, I used to help teach Sunday school and I used to write skits and sketches and stuff for that. So I really do love writing. It's just, I haven't, we haven't fully pursued that yet, but I would yeah. definitely be interested in it down the line. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it. uh, there is a lot of, uh, space for that too. And especially once you have like an IP like Outlaws and Obelisks that, that people are are fond of and listen to and like you know that want to play in that world um you know i think that it makes it easier especially now when you have like itch and drive through rpg and mm-hmm. uh dms guild or whatever like having a place where it's like okay now i can put this out in the market and people can just go buy it as they want like it's such a cool um there are a lot of cool spaces for creators i think in the ttrpg world to just you know go and kind of Mm. develop those skills and see what what their specific market is for it you know but having a (laughs) built-in market helps as well for sure (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so yeah who knows maybe i'll end up dipping my toe into that uh in the upcoming year uh, a little bit um but yeah how about you are you interested in like writing anything like that yeah so right i mean as a 
as a kid, that was, that's always been my dream, I guess I should say, since I was a kid. Um, and it's still something I definitely want to write fantasy fiction at some point. Um, I've written a couple chapters of stuff that I just never finished, uh, you know, and I have a lot of responsibilities too. Like, so it's hard mm-hmm. to even find the time, but yeah, for sure. Ne- I never really thought about TTRPGs as uh, writing for TTRPGs as a job um, until recently when I started interviewing certain people who do them, like um, uh, Mark from Magpie Games, the CEO, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and uh, like Quinn Murphy who wrote Adventure Path for Pathfinder. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, yeah, like this is clearly something you can do and and have a lot of fun with and put your products out there and people can learn your name and things like that. So. Um, but yeah, I think it would be so much fun because I do it like I, um, like you were talking about early on in the episode, I get obsessed with things once I start doing them. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, you're going to do a podcast. So you're going to just like literally watch every video on how to do a podcast and learn and then dig deep into all of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and so now like as I do more, um, TTRPGs and I homebrew most of my stuff as well uh, up until the Mwanga Expanse that came out for Pathfinder um, because I just love the setting um, uh, and yeah so it's just like, I've heard okay. good things about that setting yeah oh my god if you don't have the um, uh, book I'll send it to you and oh, just so you can you. Like, yeah. at least look at it like even if you guys don't play Pathfinder 2e like check it. it's amazing yeah, There's actual black once, halflings but... in the book. <laughs> That's what I saw somebody. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I it was me. Who... I posted it to you guys. You, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. That was <laughs> yeah. sick. I was like, whoa. And yeah. I remember th- seeing that. And you weren't the only person who had even mentioned how good that setting was. Yeah. You got it right there. Oh, that's that really looks really cool. Yeah. Whoa. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a 300 page source book for the, um, the area called the Moinga Expanse, which is like part of uh, Pathfinder's Africa, quote unquote. And so, um, yeah, there's so much beautiful artwork and beautiful stuff. And it was written by freelancers, um, Mm. you know, um, who were black and and did a lot of research and stuff to make it what it is. But yeah, I mean, there's so many cool things to do in this space. um, And I'm super excited for, uh, you know, to share this space with you and, and to have you on, like, I guess my last question for you, if you got the, a, a second, like what, uh, that you can talk about, like, what are some goals for, for you and three black halflings going forward? Ooh. Okay. Well, certainly we've been trying cause it feels like we've gotten, uh, almost everybody on our main list of like just general D&D celebrity people. Yeah. Uh, not everybody. There are some <laughs> names that have remained elusive, yeah. but we've gotten most of the people that we had originally, like that we early on and throughout, we've been like, oh, we got to get this person. Yeah. Um, but we would, I would love for us to be able to get some interviews with the one that I have said, it was the first person actually that I said that we should get an interview with was Ahmed Best, yeah. uh, the actor who played Jar Jar Binks oh, in yeah. the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> because not only do I think it would be really interesting to talk to him about his career, but yeah. also I don't know if people realize, I, Jar Jar Binks was uh, criticized heavily, mm-hmm. of course, at the time for uh, people criticized him for being a racist caricature. Yeah, But what I think a lot of people at the time at least didn't realize is that Ahmed Best has Caribbean heritage and was basing the character, his portrayal of the character on his like the family members that he like his beloved family members. And he was attempting to pay tribute to his heritage with the character. And 
of course, if if you are playing a principal cast member, or you are excuse me, you are a principal cast member in the first Star Wars movie since Return of the Jedi, like mm. all of these things, such a huge break for an actor and such a cool opportunity. It's clear that he cared a huge amount about that character. Yeah. And then to have uh, his creation just absolutely lambasted uh, every yeah. which way yeah. was understandably traumatic and mm-hmm. the way that he's since bounced back and is now doing more star Wars stuff. He's gotten to be a Jedi now. Yeah. Uh, I would love to have him. And there is like, we've wanted black Panther cast members. Yeah. Uh, it would be, be so cool to have some of them. Um, Freddie Prince jr. Followed us on, on Twitter. <laughs> so we got to get him on the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's wild, but I'd love to get more actors and people like that. But also another thing is that we'd love to get, more people from wizards and we are, yeah. we're starting to move in that direction trying to get more actual wizards employees because yeah. you know we've had people on talking about like we have people sometimes complaining about wizards or complaining <laughs> yeah. about different books and saying yeah. like ah oh, this and this and this and they haven't made these changes and there's these problems and we've complained well they, yeah. they haven't made That's these it. problems they're not going fast enough and they haven't done this and they haven't done that but I would love to actually speak to some of the people involved and be like, hey, what's this experience been like for you? What's yeah. it like to be uh, working for this company in the midst of its biggest, most popular era ever yeah. in, the, in the midst of a gigantic boom and yeah. also a huge time of transition where you now have two very distinctly defined cultures. One that is like, we like the war game roots where you're going out getting loot. We like having each race have very mm-hmm. defined characteristics that are mostly prescriptive uh and you know that element and then the other one that's way more uh liberal and progressive saying hey let's throw out some of the stereotypes these elements are problematic we don't like that we also like having more of an emphasis on uh, emphasis on role play and we want more options to solve encounters uh without fighting and also what about exploration and other things that aren't necessarily violent well and, and that's like a those are two different games almost that yeah. we're potentially talking about and what, what it's like to be and and to a degree, how the company has tried to, and is continuing to try to cater to both of those uh, fan fan groups as the game continues to evolve. That's something a hundred percent in terms of guests, in terms of actual play, we've got some really interesting things in the pipe. We're, uh, I don't think it's wrong to say we're in the middle of trying to cast for another. This is going to be a shorter campaign mm-hmm. in a new setting uh, yeah. that we're doing. And we're actually in the process of developing another new setting on top of that, that we would like to have an adventure in next year. Uh, we're looking at more stuff with Wagadu 100 uh, percent, because uh, I think the Wagadu Chronicles game is supposed to be released next year. So oh, wow. we're definitely looking to try and come up with some great stuff to partner with them and a show that will debut around the same time. Of course, the cub and the caterpillar, uh, for those of you who have listened to it, the, the, the the show is named after Jasper Edunati's characters. Yeah. So it's kind of, and now that Edunati has left the show, it's kind of difficult to do a show called the cub and the caterpillar (laughs) without the cub. But uh, we are, there's no question that we have some big, big plans for Wagadu and what we'd like to do with that in the future. So a lot of really cool, actual play stuff. Uh, I think I'd love to, Oh, we're doing D and D in a castle next year uh jasper and i are going to be dms for that yeah. so that's a big thing um 
they, yeah, they, I, I, I think that those are the main points that we've been talking about. But I, I would say 100% new merchandise, hopefully getting some dice out there. Yeah. I know people have wanted us to produce some dice. And also just in terms of like I, like we were talking about earlier, potentially releasing like at the very least like source book supplements or something so that if a person wanted to, I, I recently released my, um, a, a more completed version of the race chart that yeah. I use yeah. in a lot of my games, uh, where like, a, a, rather than me sitting around and being like, so this person's going to be this race and this person's going to be this race. I actually let the players roll during the game to determine the race of various NPCs. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I have them roll before games so that they don't know what's coming. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that. Uh, I'd be cool to bring out more things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah just potentially more published content uh, in, uh, oh, and another thing we were, th we've been thinking about maybe doing some YouTube at some point, but who knows? Oh, all right. I don't know. I don't know how imminent that is, but we'll see. Hopefully <laughs> next year we can at least dip a toe yeah. uh, into doing something on there. Cause as a big YouTube fan myself, I think it would be a shame for us not to have something for that platform. At some <laughs> yeah, point. for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited for all of that and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing, you know, what next year brings for you guys. And um, yeah, it's going to be super cool, but mm. Yeah, I mean. Oh, and you know, in conclusion, I wanted to say for oh, me yeah. personally, uh, I'd love, love, love to get to do. Um, I'd love to do D and D celebration again. Absolutely, mm -hmm. would love to get to do that. And I'm still holding out that one day uh, we'll get the call to be on Dimension Twenty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I would have Orion on the show, and that. Orion does the cast. So exactly. I Orion, think, we've yeah. <laughs> yeah. Orion likes us. Orion. Yeah. And Brennan likes us. Yeah. yeah. And Lou likes us. And Zach likes us. And Murph <laughs> likes us. And Emily <laughs> likes us. And Abria likes us. Yeah. And Christina Ariel likes us. And B Dave <laughs> likes us. Come on. They even had they had Huddy and Dice, I think, on for um Adventuring Academy and yeah. Eric Silver. So, like, come on, folks. Yeah. We here. I, it's I think it's only a matter of time, for sure. Oh, <sighs> hopefully we shall see. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been uh, an absolute blast and I really uh, appreciate it. And it's been awesome to get to know you better. And, and hopefully, you know, um, the folks who listen will get to know you a little bit better as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I wish you all the success in the world. This is so cool. I think I, I appreciate it. it. I, yeah, this has just been a blast. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 